0: Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels. 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters and to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did continually. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we know that we have yet to arrive at heaven's gate. And therefore, as we are part of the already and not yet, we face trials and pain. And suffering, and we pray that our time here in this book will give us a God's eye view of this issue of suffering and that you would sustain us through it and that you would even, like Job, give us a heart that will worship you and praise you through it, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, it's been said that either you are coming out of a season of suffering or that currently you are in a season of suffering or that you will soon be entering into a season of suffering. These are the three options and there are no others. (laughs) And if you've lived long enough You've surely gone through this cycle at least once, if not twice, if not many, many times. And this is why we're entering into this book. This is not a book about the abstract. This is a book that hits you and it hits me because this is a book that's really about my friend who cares for his wife with a terminal lung condition. This is about my other friend whose son is dealing with permanent um, damage due to a brain tumor when he was just a young boy. Uh, This is about my wife and her stepbrother whom we lost when he was at age 14 in a tragic accident. This is about my mother-in-law who's dealing with recurring crown headache pain and migraines that are debilitating. This is about some here who've dealt with loved ones uh, being murdered. This is about the scary diagnosis from the doctor. It's about mental health struggles. It's about anxiety and depression and abuse, thoughts of suicide. This is about children with disabilities Job loss, home loss, spouses who've been married for five-plus decades, now separated. And we all want to know why. Why? And so some very quickly want to put blame and they point up. Others very quickly want to point down and begin to place blame. And no matter which way you're pointing... The suffering is there, and the pain remains on us because it hurts. So many questions for us regarding our own pain and suffering. But also, as we turn to this book and consider the case of Job, we we look into the story, we begin to ask questions like, is Job getting what he deserves? If he does right and live for God, will he have to suffer? Why is it that the Lord should be worthy of worship? I mean, if Job does suffer, then does he change his opinion about worshiping God? Is the Lord in control of our suffering? Is God a, a passive person who's unable to handle or deal with what you and I are going through? Are his hands tied? So many questions. And so many of these as we... As we consider it, and we're going to dip our toe into this, I just want to bring a little moment of hope and say, I make no promises on answering any of these questions for you. <laughs> Job and his friends, they're going to struggle with why. And as we'll see, as we spend time in this book, it's the wrong question. The question should not be why so much as can I trust God? That's the question. No matter how dark things get in your life and mine, is he good and can we trust him? And we'll look this morning as we just consider these first two chapters, um, we're going to ponder first Job's character, and then we're going to peer behind the curtain as it were, and we'll see what is going on behind the curtain and what's going on on the front stage here together. So first let's ponder Job's character. This is important. This sets up the whole tension of this book. In a few opening verses, we learned that Job, he's in the land of Uz. Uh, this is in the east, somewhere we believe it's it's between Aram, which is in northern Syria, and Edom. Um, and as we learn he's out there, we first see that land is referenced from a name mentioned in Genesis chapter 10. And, and there's good reason to believe that Job is living in the era of, of Abraham, uh, father Abraham so he's probably in the time frame around 2000 uh, BC so this is his his time frame and we also know from the text that job was not a nomad for later as we read his his house these houses collapse and they kill his children so these were not tents that job is dwelling in he's not uh, a uh you know, a shepherd who's kind of traveling through, he's got a permanent establishment. And with the number of livestock that we see he has, he must be by a plentiful water source and, and, and he's living well there. And, and Job, who's in this land of us, he's, it's quickly revealed to us that he's blameless. Now, as we ponder Job from later passages, We recognize by that understanding that Job is blameless or not to understand that he is sinless. Job himself later in chapters 13 and 14 will make the case that he he does, he has sinned. So that's not the sense here, this idea of being blameless. No, no, no. Rather, we must consider Job is not a hypocrite. That what you see is what you get. The Job on the outside is the true Job in the heart. That he genuinely honors the Lord. That he truly wants to turn from evil. And he re- wants to recognize God as God. Um, and this is what it's meant to, to essentially fear the Lord. To recognize God for who he truly is. And he doesn't act as if God is one to be trifled with. He's not playing games with God. He is upright, meaning his business dealings were fair. And there's nothing shady about Job on the outside nor in his heart. So Job's character, Job's godliness is critical. It's pivotal to this entire book. The only way the main point of this book can be made is if Job truly is a God-fearing and upright man. Everything hinges on that point. So Job, we could say, is a real believer. His life is marked by repentance and faith. Just like many of your lives, and so then, to add to the drama, not only are we looking just at his heart and his personhood when, when we see that Job is not just a good man, but Job is a great man. Con- consider how he has prospered here first, did you notice the numberings here? so he has seven daughters and three sons. This is brilliant so. Thank you. Seven sons and three daughters. Uh, Dyslexia is kicking in here. Um, So the number seven, of course, being this complete good biblical number, and the number three, of course, being a great biblical number. And he's sitting there with both of them, and then together the the three and the seven they bring they form ten. This is a good number. It, It just gives us it paints that picture. Job's life is good. He's great, and then we see not only with his children. The raising of his livestock. We see again, those same numbers, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, uh, and the 500 yoke of oxen, which a uh, yoke of oxen typically being a paired up. So you end up with a thousand here. These are good numbers. Here's a man who is incredibly, incredibly wealthy, which is why we are told that he is, um, the greatest of those in the East. And of course, when you have this many livestock, you have all of these servants. You, you must have help on the farm. Um, and his character, all the way down to his business, he's great. And then even look at how he, he considers and handles his family. They would gather together. Each one on his day. That's what it reads. Some of your translations, I think, kind of help us along in the understanding that this is likely birthdays on on their day. Uh, so they're gathering on their birthdays to celebrate, and they call in the sisters. They're holding a big feast. They're feasting. They're drinking. They're enjoying their, the festivities. They're enjoying the fruit of their labor. They're, this 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 uh, work that this whole family has partaken in. And notice that Job would consecrate them, that he would dedicate them, setting them apart, purifying them. For Job, this wasn't some mere afterthought. This was something that was on the forefront of his mind. And we know this because the text says he's rising early. This wasn't something he just waited and, oh, if I get to it this time, I get to it. He rises early because on the very front of his mind is concern for his own children. And and as he's doing this, the text helps us understand this was ongoing, as they gathered, he would do this because um, you could picture, you know, each one needing this this burnt offering brought before uh, God on their behalf. With the ten children, there's likely ten um, burnt offerings, and this is happening at least ten times a year. So we're looking at a hundred burnt offerings. This is a lot, and it's on the forefront of his mind. For Job had this understanding that even living in a family where everything is peaches and cream, that didn't stop sin. Do you consider that? Here this man, living as the greatest man, and a man of extreme wealth, children have everything provided for them. Their inheritance must have been incredible. And they would have had every reason to just sort of sit there in the joy of it all thinking how great things were, but there's a recognition for all the reasons they had no reason to curse God. Job thinks it could be that in a sinful fallen world that we live in, even with God's tremendous blessing for us, you can still have a heart of darkness. That's the world we live in. Even if God's given you everything, the heart can still be dark and curse God. And so, Job says, my children may have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And so he offers these sacrifices. Job here before the official time of the priesthood acts as a priest on behalf of his family. Isn't this true? Here he is. He is sitting in between God, as it were, on one side and his family, his children on the other. And he wants to bring shalom and peace between the two. And this is why he offers up these sacrifices. So the children would look and see this animal is dying in my place. This animal is taking the wrath from God that I deserve. They could recognize this, and this would reconcile them with God. Now, as an aside for you mothers and fathers in this room, I I do want to encourage you to, to back up and see for just a moment, Job does something that is worth emulating. As mothers and fathers, it is worth peering not just to the outward actions of our children, but to consider the heart. To really ask and inquire and ponder, where are my children's hearts truly at? This is important. We can attack the outer behavior and say, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you should act this way, you should you know, do this. But, but parents, go one step deeper. Go, go to the heart and say, What would lead you? What's what's going on in your heart that would make you behave this way? Help me understand what's really underneath the outer actions and begin to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to their hearts that could be darkened by sin. Well, if we ponder through this prologue, just these simple five verses that we've opened up with, for a moment we can conclude with one idea that, The prosperity gospel here is true. The the, the prosperity gospel that says, essentially, if I do right things, I will receive good things is exactly right. In God's economy, good things come to good people. The righteous and the pious earthly are rewarded with great wealth and feasting and joy and honor. Friends, isn't that what you could walk away with if all you have are these first five verses? If nothing else over the next eight weeks as we spend our time in Job, if you walk away with nothing else, I pray and hope that you'll walk away that I will have thoroughly demolished the worldview that says if you do right things, God will surely bless you on this earth here and now. Only TV preachers and authors can get away with that sort of lie from the pit of hell that would tell you that the reason that you're suffering is because you haven't given enough. That the reason that you're not being blessed in your business or in your life is because you haven't done the right steps. No, this is damaging and destructive and is harmful to the church of Christ and we will not put up with it. Friends, it is an arrogant position for us to assume that we always know why suffering or pain or trial or heartache is going on in your life. Now, later on, I I may suggest some reasons why we do suffer, but and I will try and back them with some scripture. But for now, I want to dispel the prosperity gospel. And all you have to do, the only thing you have to do is just keep your fingers in your Bibles and keep turning the page For the moment you do this, you see that there's always more going on. We've pondered Job's character. And now we're going to peer behind the curtain, seeing what's behind the curtain and what's going on on the front stage. Would you look at with with me at verse six through 12 here? Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan from Where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we'll pause there. Now, here, we're not entirely sure where the location is of this meeting. But it is clear here from the language that these heavenly beings have joined for a meeting with God, with the Almighty, with Yahweh. And it is clear from Scripture that spiritual beings are alive and well. Did you know that in our Bibles it mentions over 300 times the usage of the word angel? And that's not even including other phrases that wrap into this idea of these spiritual beings. So we consider things like the host of heaven in 1 Kings chapter 22 or beings called spirits in Zechariah 6, or watchers and guardians in Daniel chapter 4, or div- the divine council in Psalm 82 and Psalm 89. Uh, sometimes here referred to as the sons of God. In other words, God's creating created beings, meaning spiritual beings that are not human, um, angels. And among them is one called not Satan. That's not what his name is. Here it's literally the Satan. Because you know that Satan in the Hebrew, it's it's not just a proper name. It's become that for us in our English uh, understanding. But the Satan is the accuser. So who is it who's really come before God with all these heavenly hosts and these sons of God? It is the accuser has come to accuse God and to accuse us before him. And and here, as, as comfortable as it might be, we need to catch that it really wasn't Satan that brought Job up. I don't know if this is something that leaves you a bit restless, but you, you got to admit here, who was it who pointed out Job? Satan, thus Satan, the accuser, didn't come and say, aha, I spotted one. No, 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 no. It was God who says, I see what you're doing. I see how you're walking back and forth and going to and fro, but you have missed something. Did you catch my servant Job? Did you see him? And he's not just good, by the way, he's great. And the accuser, he pipes up and he says, ah, sure, but here's a logical explanation to this whole thing. You've not only protected him, you have tremendously blessed him. And Job is not faithful because, uh, Job is really only faithful because of the prosperity gospel principle. That's the argument here. The moment that you pull your hand of blessing back I don't give Job one minute before he's going to turn his back on you. And it is a bit ironic. The very thing, the very thing that Job gets up early in the morning to sacrifice for his children so that that that's the very issue that Job was being accused of that he will do. Job gets up and rises early to sacrifice for his children because maybe in their hearts they've cursed God. The accuser says, You take away his blessing. Oh, I don't give him a minute before he accuses you, not just in his heart, but with his lips. And not just with his lips, he's going to accuse you and he's going to curse you to your face. That's what's at stake here. Kidner in his commentary says, does God's finest servant, his boasted showpiece, serve him for conscience or does he serve him for convenience? Because God is worthy. Or because God is Job's sugar daddy? That's the question. And at essence, that's what we're driving at here. It's the very heart of this book. It becomes God's glory. Playing off of our time in the the prodigal son, here Satan is basically accusing Job. He says, Job is essentially an elder brother. He only wants the father for the father's things. He doesn't really want the father it's not for he's not worshiping God for who he is not for his glory he's just because of what he gets and so the Lord grants Satan his request the accuser heads out to do his worst and we see this in verses 13 through 22 now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the, the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another. The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another. Job arose and he tore his robe and shaved his head and fell off the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked. I have come from my mother's womb and naked. I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And so what we have in essence here is two terrorist attacks and two natural disasters that have taken Everything from Job. He has nothing left. Verses 13 through 19 paint what could be called the worst day of your entire life. Some of you have had these days. Some of you have had these weeks. And some of you would say, it seems like I've had that month or year. Bad news comes in, followed by more bad news, followed by more bad news. Where we can't even believe all that has come against us with death, loss, pain, and suffering. And we, we can picture Job, you know, receiving all this at once. He's probably in somewhat like a, a state of shock, a state of horror. And we, we could see him basically doing what was culturally the the normal thing at this time. So he begins to to tear his clothes. He begins to shave his head. Culturally, this was the normal way of mourning. He's probably doing all of this while sobbing and crying uncontrollably at the grief of, of all this. Friends, this is a picture of a godly man grieving. He even recognizes rightly that at some level, this is all from the hand of the Lord. You see verse 21 where he says, naked I've come from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so clearly, the answer to the accusers' accusations, to Satan's accusation that Job would curse God to his face, it's very clear. He is wrong. Indeed, here Job is a man of faith regardless of what he owns or the blessings in his life. And the author wants to make sure that you and I get the point. This is why in verse 22 we see... In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. <laughs> and so then in chapters 2, verses 1 through 10, we get the repeat of the first scene. So there's another joining together for the court where the sons of God, these, these spirits, these angels are before the Lord. And we get a repeat of the first scene, but with a couple changes. Here, as the Lord brings up Job again, Satan wants to up the ante. He says, all right, now we're going to play for keeps, skin for skin. You know, some people, they, they don't really care about their stuff. You know, take away their homes, their cars, their, their family. That's not what really gets them, God. That's not what's it. You know what? I tell you what, if you take away his health, you take away his health, he's going to reveal what is truly in his heart. He will forsake you. He will curse you. He will wish evil upon you. And the Lord said, okay, well, he's in your hand. I want you to spare his life though. Because the obvious is, as if Satan were to actually take his life, well, then he can't remain suffering to see, will he remain faithful even through the suffering, right? So we see verse uh, seven, then through 10, as this uh, Satan does his worst. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He took a piece of broken pottery from which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. And then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity, curse God and die? But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So again, he remains faithful to God, even under tremendous pain and suffering at this moment, uh, wh- what's the key takeaway? You see that job had satan sorry, you see that Satan had job wrong in this case that he has God wrong too. I mean if you take away job's blessings, he will bless the Lord. you take away his comfort, he will not sin with his lips, will he? No, job will worship God, period friends. God must be worshiped, not for what he gives, but for who he is. Is that not the main thrust of this entire section? God must be worshiped, not for what he gives, but for who he is. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And as challenging as it may be to us, our comfort, and I hope you hear this church, Our comfort and our blessings are subservient in the entire universe to a greater need. There is something more important in this universe and in this world than you and I being comfortable or us being blessed. And that is the need for God Almighty who created everything for Him to be worshipped, for Him to receive glory and honor and blessing that is due His name. This is greater than me being comfortable this moment. And so here we see this whole issue on display, the faithfulness of God's servants and of God's glory on display. And, and I want to be clear here, I, I and this is where we need to back up and say, I want to, I'm not saying that this scene is playing out in your life every time that you get a hangnail, that literally the Satan is saying, well, let me afflict this person in some particular way. I'm pointing out here that there's much we don't know about the reasons we suffer, but even let me suggest a few, and you may want to explore these passages later on your own time. But the reason we, we suffer, it may be due to our own sin. So you consider Hebrews chapter 12. Um, it may be that we suffer just as being a part of this fallen world. So you consider Genesis chapter three or Romans eight twenty. Oh, uh, it may be that if we peel back the curtain, that we too can suffer like Job for God's glory. So that God will remain the one receiving all the praise. And will and it will be seen that God is worth worshiping no matter what we go through. Do you recall the scene where uh, Jesus and the disciples are walking along the path and they come upon this... Um, a uh, blind man who's been blind since birth and the disciples are asking now this this guy's blind was this did he sin or or did his parents sin in some way and 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 Christ's response to them is he says no it, it's neither that this man sins nor is it that his parents sinned no th- 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 this man is blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him and and if we could walk Past Job, here Job is sitting with his clothes torn and his head shaved, and he's scraping himself with these bloody, you know, boils on him. If we could walk past him, we'd say, Well, what what is it, God? Is it that Job has sinned? Is it his parents sinned? Have have his children sinned in some way? And we say, No, none of this. This is to reveal God's glory, to display in through job hear the his faithfulness to worship god in the midst of this pain and suffering and and i think a new testament verse that really covers our struggles in the exact same light as job that we should consider is first peter chapter one at verse six where it reads in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials so that Peter here is not saying something that's too far and distant from the message that we get in Job chapters 1 and 2. God must be worshipped, not for what he gives, but for who he is. Another passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, tells us, it says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so then we do have to ponder, okay, Considering where we know Job's era is and what happened with Job and considering where we, you and I sit this moment, is there any difference? Has something changed this side of the cross? Well, I think God the Father, through the New Testament and the message that we receive in the New Testament, He's not saying, have you considered my Job? But He says to you this morning, have you considered my Jesus? Have you considered Him? My servant, my son, the one in whom I am well pleased. There is none like him. For Jesus is not only blameless, Jesus was sinless. Friends, here with us, we do not follow this Jesus as a good man. We don't just follow Jesus even as a great man. We follow Jesus as the sinless, perfect Savior. He is perfect in every way. He is the creator. Friends, he not only owned a thousand cattle, Jesus owned the cattle on a thousand hills. And as creator, he left all of that. He lost it all to come live and dwell amongst us as he wandered saying, I don't even have a place to lay my head that I can call my own. And as he walks through this earth and we see his suffering and his loss, it was like Job's with everything and then some. Not only the loss of comfort and pride and status, but eventually the loss of his loved ones and his friends as he carried the cross up the hill alone. Treated poorly, even as Job, skin for skin. Suffering not in anguish nor in physical pain like Job, but more so the suffering of Christ was bearing the weight of our sin. The wrath of God that should be poured not out on you, but ends up being poured out on Jesus. And much like Job in the New Testament, it tells us this all too, this entire gospel thing was for God's glory. That Jesus, like Job, is a high priest who stands in the gap for his children, for you and for I. Something, friends, has come that is more important than you and I remaining comfortable. Something has come that is more important than my life going smoothly. God's glory is at stake in this entire matter that God would be worth worshiping and living for as we face the oncoming trials that you and I will go through. And friends, if we can see that even Jesus Christ himself, he doesn't escape this. As we consider suffering, God himself doesn't even get out of suffering. All must suffer, even the Lord Jesus Christ. David Jackson, he comments saying, the central issue in the book of Job is not the justice of God and allowing an innocent man to suffer or whether the power of Satan is greater than God's. No, it's the integrity of saving faith and the gospel being believed. It is, is there such thing as true, genuine faith? And if there is, how will it it respond when it has been ambushed by calamity? For in the heat of the moment, the true heart is revealed. So friends, I just simply close saying, let us remain like Job. As we, sometimes in God's graciousness to us, we receive and things are going well. And sometimes for reasons we don't always know why, we lose it all. But let us be like Job who says, the Lord gives and the Lord is taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we look forward to that day where we are face to face with you, where there will not even be a temptation in our hearts to curse you, where we will only have unexplainable joy, saying it all was worth your glory to see you lifted up, one who is truly worth all of the praise of everyone on earth and everyone in heaven. So we, we thank you for this word that you have spoken to us.